Welcome to episode 75 of the Half Point for Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Riggs, joined as always by my co-host, Dalton Willie, and our fearless producer, Johnny Pham. Dalton, how's it going on this fine Tuesday in late July? This was like uh, this was one of the bi- first big days of a lot of training camp news. A lot of Wild scuttlebutt. day. A lot, lot of injuries, a lot of uh, PUP designations. Wild day. Uh, even more insane is I turned 28 years old in less than a week, which still makes me younger than Velas Jones Jr. But I don't I... think that's actually true. <laughs> it's close. I had to actually think about it for a second. But no, we got football. Um, the NFL Plus, which will have all 22, got announced which it's great because I've been trying to find a way to get my hands on all 22 and it's not easy. So all around the NFL is making progress. We get to see some players and pads. um, And finally is the point of the season where some of our takes are wrong. So I'm sorry, Evan, but (laughs) your time has come. I on on the NFL plus I, it's not worth it yet because you can't watch out of market games unless it's preseason. Uh, they're not going to undercut Sunday ticket like that. And Sunday ticket has a big rollout coming pretty soon. I do agree for, for those uh, people who use the all 22 stuff though, it's good to actually be able to have that because that's been a big hassle for folks. But I know I saw somebody who's like, I've literally tried to buy this three times this morning and it just times out every time. So it, it's, it's a little hit or miss still a little, little hit or miss. Are you saying you're not hashtag, Team Grind the film? Um, I am hashtag Team Grind YouTube videos of people who have already grinded the film. That's outsourcing and laziness. That's how America got where it's at, is we outsourced everything. So we need to think about that. Are, are you agreeing with this take, Johnny? I have no comment. <laughs> okay, so like I said, we do have uh, a lot of news. Honestly, if we just spent the whole podcast talking about news, we could probably do it. Just wanted to start off with a couple of quick hitters at the beginning of this pod. I'm trying to keep our Twitter up to date just with like retweets and stuff of some of the big things that are going on. But probably the news of the day, uh, I guess these are both kind of tied and tied together. 1A, 1B happened within about five minutes of each other. So Julio Jones is head to the Bucks, And I had a very brief moment where it was like, oh, God, like this Sounds like it could be bad for Chris Godwin. Oh, Chris Godwin's clear for the start of training camp. So we got both of those uh, back-to-back. Dalton, what what was your reaction to that doubleheader of uh, Buccaneers news? I mean, the Julio Jones stuff is exciting and not. Like, I still really thought the Packers or the Ravens would be the two teams. Or even well, the, the, pa- the Packers were apparently the other team, but the Bucks made a harder push, which I, I'm sure you're about ready to say I don't get. Yeah, I, I don't understand. Um Fantasy, I mean, I think every pass catcher in there probably takes a bit of a hit if when they're all healthy. We'll be interested to see what the week one usages look like because I feel like at this point in his career, Julio's like a bigger slot guy, but that's also where we want to see Godwin, and that's also where we thought we'd see Gage. Um, with that being said, I also think Mike Evans' role is like completely solidified as the deep target because Julio Jones also has excelled at that in his career. Um so all of those guys probably take a bit of a hit in weekly rankings. Really hard for me to make any moves down on Mike Evans. Um, Chris Godwin probably needs to be in your top 20 to top 24, I would say. Yeah, once p- we... pend- pending how the next month goes. Yes. You know, obviously he's been cleared for camp, but kind of like with James Robinson, which we'll get to once we actually get to our training camp storylines here a little bit later, um, there's just a lot 
that you'll have to keep an eye on with with Goblin, his participation, uh, if he's doing team stuff, if he's off to the side. There, there there's still some hurdles uh, left there, and and I think if there were no health concerns with Goblin, he'd probably be top fifteen, top twelve, and I don't think either he or Evans are too affected by this. I think this is probably more than anything just good for Tom Brady as yeah. opposed to like a boon for Julio or a, a big pain in the butt for for uh, Goblin or Evans. I, I do think it is uh, the Russell Gage fun was was short-lived. I think that is pretty much over at this point. Yeah, his underdog ADP got all the way up to 36. Um, I will say someone pointed this out on Twitter. Last season, there were multiple periods where they didn't give Gronk an injury designation, and then he ended up not playing. Um, and a lot of people think that the Bucks could be doing some of the same with Chris Godwin, where we're going to think he's healthy week one and he's a scratch and a scratch, and then he ends up playing like week three or four. Uh, it's possible. So, I I think if he plays by week three or four, that is still a success. Like I too. think I think most people are still happy with that. And if you get him in round four. Like you're happy with the week three return because if there were no if there was no ACL tear, he'd be a round two pick, I think. Me too. All, all I'm urging against is drafting him as like a week one starter. Yep. I probably wouldn't feel comfortable starting him week one until I see what those usages look like and if he's on the field. Well, for, if you, you know, have him, if you have him and he's playing, you probably gotta start him. It's real hard to bench a guy you take in the first four rounds, yeah. no matter what. But could be really scary week one if you place seven snaps and it's just possible the rust off. It's possible. So at the beginning of the day, or maybe that was yesterday, I'm losing track of when this news came out. We got the the J.K. Dobbins. I think that was yesterday. J.K. Dobbins is, in fact, on, on the PUP to start, and we may have actually seen that or heard that a couple days ago even. Um, and CEH goes on, on the PUP for the Chiefs, but it was about 40 minutes after we learned that that we heard from Nate Taylor. Well, this really isn't that big of a deal. He should or he could easily be off of it in a couple days. Just something to monitor because CEH has dealt with injuries his first two years. I think I read like three or four articles, literally three or four articles yesterday, talking about how this was his first real offseason, which is true. He's had injury concerns each of the last couple offseasons, and he had the, all the COVID stuff that made it not a real offseason really before his rookie year. And he's had injuries during each of the last two years as well. So you just don't like any any bump in the road this early already, but it's not something to be too alarmed about. It doesn't seem like, but we'll learn more by the time this podcast posts, I think. Yeah, and I will say this is probably one of the biggest camp storylines is like what's going on in the Chiefs running back room. Mm-hmm. There were people saying Rojo was going to get cut and Isaiah Pacheco was making a clear run. There are people who still think Jarek McKinnon is really the guy to own. Um, a lot of it's smoke, but usually where there's smoke, there's fire. And that's all there just because this room really is pretty ambiguous. And of course there's going to be some value where there's ambiguity. Yeah. I, I guess as long as uh, Clyde is out, whether it's one day, five days, uh, whatever, we at least might get a little clarity on who the second guy is. And if Clyde were the missed time, who, if either of the two between Rojo and McKinnon or even Pacheco, like who, who is, uh, a, a, the separator uh, separated from the pack between those guys, or are they all equal? Are they all split in the reps? So that's like just a, a mini storyline you can watch, I guess. Yeah. Well, and unlike other coaches, Andy Reid does play his guys in the preseason. So yes. you do get a kind of, you get to fill out those depth charts. Um, I will say on the JK Dobbins front, I am like back to really concerned. And I'm concerned. And, and Gus, Gus Edwards is also on, on the PUP. 
that's why I'm really concerned is that it looks like both these guys rehab is not going well. I mean, if you kind of like side by side them, Chris Godwin tore his ACL like a full six months after Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins. Yeah, JK like four, Dobbins four, four, a, four or five months somewhere yeah. in there. And J.K. Dobbins did have a full MCL tear as well, which probably made it a little worse. But the fact that both these guys are still on PUP and Corey Clement is now coming into that running back room and they drafted Tyler Batty, plus all the offseason moves they're trying to make around running back. I am not feeling great. This could be like a Saquon Barkley situation last year where the first one, two, three games were not getting a full workload. Um, and I don't think that's really priced into Dobbins ADP just yet, which mm. is worrisome. Well, and, and a lot of times uh, when guys come back off of ACL tears, we just don't like the Dalvin Cook year a couple years ago is the example that comes to mind um, to, to me where you just don't see quite the same guy the first year back. And then the second year back is when the guy's really back to himself. There are exceptions. But the longer this goes for Dobbins, the less good you feel about him being an exception to that. I don't want to say yeah. rule, but the exception to that trend uh, with, with NFL players. Yeah, well, Cortland Sutton's another example. I mean, he yeah. was a breakout, and then he tore his ACL. And last year, granted, the Broncos didn't look good, but the whole – I mean, he didn't look that great either. Yeah, um, I actually have this note further down. Uh, Broncos are one of my storylines. But Matt Harmon and in his reception perception literally said – he could see Cortland Sutton wearing down as the season went on and kind of wondered if the the knee was was part of it. So, yeah, I definitely think that's all factor. But back to the Chiefs and back to CEH's backfield mate, so to speak, and Patrick Mahomes, Dalton, uh, we are getting the player props going with the three of us with who else but Patrick Mahomes. His over-under for passing yards is 4,550 and a half. Johnny, I'm going to start this off with you. Are you taking the over or the under on Patrick Mahomes' passing yards this season? I am going with the over. I think he can do it. I'm I'm shocked that we're we're taking the over here. Uh, Dalton, are you over? Or are you going to go under here? I'm I'm taking the over. I think like Thank this you. is a it's a weird prop with the Tyree Kill injury, um, where people are like trying to do like some really hard math to figure out whether or not he can hit it every year, but his injured year Mahomes went over it. Yep. I mean, the wide receiver room is better than it's ever been in Kansas city. It's not as good at the top, but it definitely goes four or five guys deep. And I mean, we don't know what this offense looks like fully spread out, but last year was the first full year. We saw like real scheme attacks to the way the chiefs played. And I, I think Andy Reid is just going to come out with a brand new way to play football again. And yeah, I'm excited I, for it. Yeah, and and that that's kind of my thinking too. I'm taking the over as well. Um, teams sort of had them figured out last year. The Bengals pretty much said as much after the AFC Championship game, like they knew what the Chiefs were doing, they knew the plays. And a defensive coordinator, anonymous defensive coordinator, made this point in the Athletic, uh, the really big article that dropped yesterday, rating the signal callers. Where I'm sure people, if they haven't seen it, they will at some point the Lamar Jackson quote from an anonymous mm -hmm. defensive coordinator. It's that same article. So this coordinator pretty much said they're going to get the ball out quick. They're going to be effective. It's a harder sell to do that when Tyree Kill is there running down the field. So in some ways, not that losing Tyree Kill is good for them, but it might be good for them in changing how they play and, and figuring out a new way to attack defenses. So I do think that's one factor in this. And then I did a little uh, little rough math this morning. So looking back at last season's games, this is obviously a, a one-year sample size, so pretty small. But 
in division games last year, his average was only 255 passing yards per game. This is Mahomes. Um, that's 30 under his season average on pace for about a little under 4,400. In his non-division games, he was on a nearly 5,200-yard pace last season. I actually think he hits 5,000 yards, and I am going to side with this was because a couple of division games were not competitive last year, and they all should be more competitive, you would think, this year. And even one of them that was competitive, Denver at home, he only threw for a buck 84, and they just kind of folded and said, we don't need to – we're not going to air it out. We're just going to get through this game, basically. I think you're going to see some more shootouts in the division, and I think that helps his yards as well. He is plus 800 to lead the NFL in passing yards, if anyone's curious. Well, and that's the other part of it that I that I have here. I think I want to take the over on every AFC West quarterback because they also play the NFC West. Yep. Which, I mean, you get the Rams, which is going to be a shootout most likely. You get the Cardinals, probably going to be a shootout. And then – I mean, Seattle, you'll walk all over. But then San Francisco is probably going to be another game that's going to need to be a shootout. I mean, the AFC West is matched up just really tough, and they're going to need a lot of high-scoring games. I think it's like going to be the Big 12 of the NFL where defenses just don't really matter. Um, Very exciting stuff, but I agree with you. I mean, just with those matchups, it almost feels like we have to hit the over. Mm -hmm. Justin Herbert is the odds-on favorite to lead the league in passing yards, by the way, I think, plus 700, if I remember correctly um last thing i don't want to go very long on this one at all but i did just add as a bonus for mahomes as his touchdown prop is 34 and a half and i just thought that was notable because you mentioned he's hit the yards every year but the injured season he's also hit that touchdown mark every year so i think that's a a pretty reasonable number for mahomes on, on the touchdown side as well yeah and i mean last year Mahomes technically regressed in a lot of categories and still, you know, was above all these. Yeah, th- 37, 37 touchdowns, and he was at about 4,800 uh, passing yards. Exactly. You take away the five tipped interceptions Tyreek Hill caused, <laughs> and it's probably almost at 5,000. Uh, <laughs> okay. Najee Harris, Dalton, over under 1,120 and a half rushing yards. I'll go first here. I'm taking the over. I know we both have some Najee Harris concerns this year as just a fantasy back and more specifically as a first round fantasy back. And we didn't have him in our top 12 that came out the other day on the YouTube channel, but I think where he's going to get dinged is more in the passing game. I think he's going to have similar rushing volume, which was around 300 carries last year, but he had over 90 targets and 74 receptions last season. He had, what was it? Was it 19 targets in one of those in a game when in one of those like September games last year? I think that's where his fantasy value has hurt more. He, for the record, was at about 1,200 rushing yards last season. So I, I think he probably is around this number. I take a slide over. So I'm actually taking the under. So this is our first disagreement. Um, last season he was at 307 carries and he was just over 1,200 yards, like you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, my big problem is. Last year, Pittsburgh was fourth overall in total defense. They were very good defensively. They're going to be good defensively again this year. But I'm just factoring in a little regression where some of these games get a little out of hand and Najee can't run it, you know, 17, 18 times a game. And then um, I still think there's a small chance the offense regresses under either Trubisky or Kenny Pickett. And in a situation like that where we're also betting on a running back to play a full 17-game or even 16-game slate, I just want to take the under – because if That's the fair. offense gets a little worse, I feel like his attempts could also drop off a little bit. That's fair. Johnny? 
Uh, I'm agree with you, Evan. I think he's just gonna kind of keep going on what he did last year. I think last year is like 1,200. I think they're just gonna keep feeding him the ball and just get as many touches as he can. So I'm gonna go with the over. I I think they're going to really try and control games through through Najee this year. So I yeah I'm in Ooh. agreement there. Uh, Kyler Murray Ooh. over under 4,000 and a half passing yards. Uh, Kyler was in the news this week, obviously with it, with his new contract. Um, if you go to my Twitter at Evan R. Riggs, you can see a really funny graphic about his performance drop off before and after uh, Call of Duty games release every year. So, with the October 28th release date of Modern Warfare 2 in mind, are we taking the over or under on Kyler Murray this year? Okay. So, at first, when I saw 4,000 passing errors, I was like, he's done that. And then I was like, oh, he hasn't done nope. that. Um, so, he I was am... within 30 yards in 2020. Yes. And I. I am going to take the over, but this is like the first bet that we've gone through that I like absolutely would tell people to not bet. Mm-hmm. Um, so the spin on this is that we know that like halfway through the season, Kyler Murray does like a Houdini act and becomes a different player and just isn't as good. So spin zone, DeAndre Hopkins comes back six weeks in game seven. Uh, the offense gets a new dimension it changes it up for Kyler. He continues and has his first full season of playing quarterback effectively and has like 4,300 yards. I also think he does have his best weapons of his career right now in Hollywood Brown, uh, whatever Rondell Moore looks like. AJ Green is washed, but D Hop coming in, a full season of Zach Ertz, who he over targeted last year. And then James Cook and Darrell Williams are a pretty good one two punch for receiving. You mean uh, James Conner? Um, yes. I. I'm taking the over or the under, excuse me, uh, double spin zone. What if he sucks at the beginning of the season because <laughs> he doesn't have DeAndre Hopkins and then he still sucks later in the season because that's what he usually does suck and Call of Duty's released. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, I'm with you that it's a tough number, uh, but I will take a, a slight under. As you said, he's not hit this mark yet. I think it's less likely than not now with Hopkins being out for the first six games. You mentioned that you like his weapons. I like them in the context of having DeAndre Hopkins as the one. I don't like what he has a ton just looking at it from weeks one to six. Like Hollywood Brown's number one receiver. I think we've seen that movie. It was going pretty well last year with Lamar Jackson for about a month, month and a half. But he's been an inconsistent player who now, of course, has a hamstring injury. So that'll be something to monitor. As well, I know Cliff Kingsbury is talking up uh, Rondell Moore at literally every possible situation that he can. Um, Been reading a lot of reception perception the last couple days. Matt Harmon said he basically didn't even play wide receiver last season. So we'll see how that goes this year with with Rondell Moore. I I just, I think the safer bet is probably the under here. Johnny? Johnny? Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's like, I was truly shocked to see that he hasn't hit this number mm-hmm. and i was like how is that possible and then new call of duty's in the way hops <laughs> hops gonna be out he's just gonna be trying to scramble or like i know the cardinals are always like notorious are starting off hot and then just falling off the cliff mm-hmm. i think they're gonna fall off the cliff even harder especially not having d hop and uh, i i don't think he'll get four thousand this year mm-hmm Okay, Cooper Cup, who, if he would have played double the games last year, would have had 4,000 receiving yards almost. His number this year is 1,300. So he would just have to regress by about 600 yards and some change 
to hit this number, but that's still a pretty big number. Dalton, what, what are you taking uh, the over or the under with Cooper Cup? So I'm taking the over. Um, it's just tough. I've, you know, <laughs> I could tell you're in deep thought. Well, I, I don't want to because it's just such a high number. Mm-hmm. And if like I, I had to put money on this, I would choose almost any other bet I could. But this one or the Kyler Murray bet, which one would you feel more confident in? I would probably take Kyler Murray, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, what's strange on Kyler Murray, the throw for 4,000 passing yards over Cooper Cup hitting 1,300. Yeah. I mean, you know, he'd have to regress basically 33%, but last season was just so insane. I can't help but feel like every defense is going to be rolling out packages where he can't get lined up against linebackers every two snaps, and that would definitely impact it. And then I'm going to overweight Allen Robinson a little bit and say, like, he's the best talent they're going to have um, just because Odell didn't get a full season that system and probably didn't get access to full route trees like A-Rob's going to get starting uh, in camp. Okay, Johnny, over or under 1,300 for Mr. Cooper Cup? I am going with the over. I just feel like the Rams don't have that many wide receivers they're going to be thrown to besides, like, a Rob and Van Jefferson, I feel like, and even Van Jefferson, he had his chance when yeah. in, in the gap between Robert Woods and Odell Beckham, and he did very little with it last year. Yeah, and so- then the Super Bowl when Odell got hurt, that completely changed the game. Um, Van Je- Van Jefferson could have stepped up then as well. Yep, and yeah. then just the, just the fact that they don't have uh, Robert Woods, like if he was still there, I would probably go on the under. But I mean, Stafford almost threw for five thousand yards last year. I mean, Cooper Cup almost had two of them, but I, I think 1,300 is a, a pretty low number that I think he can hit the over on. Yeah, I mean, we saw the worst-case scenario in, in the Super Bowl for, you know, no Odell, none of the – well, I can't remember the other white receiver's name, but literally uh, popped pop the ball up to an almost pick and was a, a major liability. Scronic. Scronic. Something like that. Um, and they were keying on Cooper Cup, and the Rams were kind of falling for it and not going the Cup. And then once they started feeding Cup, he went and won the game and still, if not hit his yardage prop, came very close to like 95 or 100, whatever his prop was. So I'm taking the over. I know it's a big number, and third, you know, he could still, I think, regress this season, and it would feel – like a little bit of a disappointing year based on what he did last year. But then you look up and he's 1,400 yards and and nine touchdowns this year. I think that's very, very much in play. You would think maybe even year two with Stafford and with Allen Robinson, who, yes, it, it's a it's a factor that Robinson could take away from his volume, but he also maybe will give McVay even more options to creatively move Cup around with Robinson a, able to take away um, some of the top defenders on the other side as well. I don't hate it. Um, I just big number, and I just still feel like, at least on my side of the ball, there are some questions about whether Cooper Cup is like a, a truly elite talent or if he's in like the best situation possible where he's getting the easiest looks because of a really good uh, scheme coach leading him to those looks. Yeah, you know, I, I I thought that earlier in the season, but as it went on, you just kind of had to just kind of had to relent that man. What this guy is doing is just plant your flag and don't give up. It's just unbelievable. Uh this one I thought was the easiest line of any of them. Travis Etienne, 
I know this sounds crazy because he's never played an NFL game, but his his over under is 299 and a half for receiving yards. I'm taking the over. If Kansas will allow me to place a legal bet on this before the season, I will do so. I have way fewer questions. We talked about this Dalton way back when he got drafted. The pass catching stuff is is already there. It's the rushing that you and I had some questions about how he'd fit in the NFL scheme uh, a little bit as far as that goes. But, but think about this. His senior season, he easily cleared this number, easily. He had 48 receptions for 588 yards. And then the year before that, he was in the 400s. So he easily cleared that number twice in college. Christian McCaffrey's best year in college was 45 receptions for 645 yards. So he was pretty much on par with Christian McCaffrey as a receiver in his best season in college. I think this is a no-brainer. Um, I think this guy could could put up 500 yards receiving this year. Yeah, um, and I'm in the same boat as you. I thought a good look would be DeAndre Swift's rookie season uh, because I feel like it's similar situations, bad offense, a lot of short yardage pass catchers, not a lot of mm-hmm. downfield guys. Because um, the, ar- the only argument I could make against this would be Chanel, Ingram, Kirk all gobble up the middle of the field so much that, you know, ETN just doesn't get a lot of passing. Uh, but even then, this team defensively is so bad that I definitely think he's still going to get it. He, he, should John- get some, he, he should get some garbage time, and he's just the most talented of any of those guys you named. Yeah, well, maybe. We haven't seen him actually on the field. but I, 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 I believe he is. It's not – like Christian Kirk is pretty good. The rest of those guys I don't think are, so I don't think that's a big leap. The Chenault smoke. <laughs> um, but rookie year, uh, we had DeAndre Swift going off for uh, 46 catches and 357 yards and easily clearing that. Mm-hmm. If, for whatever reason – Snoop Connor is involved in the pass game, like weeks one through five or something. Uh, Doug Peterson. That sounds like a fake name. That doesn't even sound like a real person. Yeah. Um, So easy over for me. I really like it. Again, I I feel like this is one of those we just forgot why he came to the NFL, and it was because he's a good passing back, not really his rushing upside. So I think it's easy money. Yep. Johnny, over or under on ETN? Uh, sorry if you guys hear any hail in the background, but it's hailing right now. I can hear that actually. That's yeah. pretty loud. Uh, You're fine though. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm gonna go with the over as well. I kind of shocked there was not a higher number, but I guess with like kind of past rookie numbers, I I think it's just kind of a an easy over that I'm gonna place a bet on it right now. If my house doesn't are, break, are you worried about your landscaping outside? You've worked so hard on it. Yes, like the tr- the plants are gonna die. Or are they gonna last? <laughs> Okay. okay, so Dalton, let's go ahead and just use that uh, that line to catapult us into our first training camp storyline here. So basically, as a refresher, what we wanted to do with these storylines is, number one, give you the actual important storylines to be paying attention to, of course. And then number two, at least for me, I wanted to go through the actual like things I'm paying attention to as it relates to these storylines and what kind of news or reporting or whatever could come out that might change my thinking one way or another, because we see a lot of nonsense as it relates to the important stuff, obviously too. So it's, it's important to kind of have a, a good BS detector when it comes to this kind of stuff, I'd say. And the first one is how healthy is James Robinson? And how does that change Travis Etienne's draft stock? So 
I just said last week, and you agree with me, why are we drafting this James Robinson guy? It wouldn't surprise me if he didn't play this year. It wouldn't surprise me if he at the very least missed a ton of games. While that may look a little dumb, he still could miss a time this year. But he is not going to start on the PUP. So like Chris Goblin, he has at least cleared that hurdle. He obviously tore his Achilles. I believe it was either last November or December. Pretty, pretty late in the season. So this isn't quite a Cam Akers recovery because he's still working on the side in, in training camp. But this is pretty remarkable. I've got to say his ADP has not moved yet, but I suspect as we creep closer to real draft season and if his work does start ramping up, he's going to be going higher than RB 39 and 104 overall. So there's going to be a lot to sort out. Obviously right now he's just working on the side. So you want to watch how soon he gets back to team drills. And when he does get back to team drills, is he having to take days off? Is there reported swelling, soreness, things of that nature, just how he's doing health wise. And then when he is there, how are he and Travis Etienne actually splitting up uh, the backfield duties? Is it a 50-50? Is it still James Robinson's backfield and Etienne is the, the second guy there? Are we getting some uh, Etienne lined up in the slot or out wide with Robinson in the backfield? I think those are a lot of interesting questions that we're going to have answered. And you know, Doug Peterson has hinted that he won't be a full go until at least mid-August. So maybe we don't get these questions answered before draft time, but it's definitely worth watching, I think. And honestly, like for anyone who wants to draft Travis Etienne, it's probably not a terrible thing to have his ADP damp down a little bit and have him stay in that fourth or, or fifth round. What do you think? I'm very happy for James Robinson. Um, mm, yes. Obviously, Last year, he was RB1 son for me, and then <laughs> Etienne came in. I was very upset, and then Etienne got hurt, um, and then he had to play in Urban Meyer's offense, so it didn't matter. But I'm very happy for him, very happy for the fact that Travis Etienne is once again very affordable because people are going to overreact to this news. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it does not go without repeating enough that there's not a running back who's come back from an Achilles injury and been fantasy relevant. Deontay Foreman is the closest we have to that last year, and it was yep. three years removed. And to anybody who like looks at Cam Akers and expects that, from a fantasy standpoint, he was bad. I mean, he got 22 carries in a playoff game and 60 yards last year. Yep. That's very bad. And if James Robinson comes in and has like some like type of ineffectual workload in September like that, this coaching staff, this front office, they're not marred to him. They'll let him go. They'll, they'll put him underneath Travis Etienne. And more likely than not, he would be ineffectual if he played early. So with all of that being said, buy the dip on ETN. I'm still not buying James Robinson. I I would rather be the guy who says I'm not drafting him. He's on my do not draft list. Um, and, you know, eat crow on him being the first guy ever to do it than the other way around. Yep. So I don't know how well you can see this tweet that I have pulled up. This is an old Chris Towers tweet from last year. This was right after Cam Akers tore his Achilles. So it does not have the most recent Deontay Foreman uh, season in there. But this is just a, a very depressing look at, at some running backs who were fantasy relevant, who tore their ace, or, or their Achilles. And as you can see, there's a lot of out of the league uh played one game out of the league like that it, it's just not a good track record now I, I will say we are eventually going to have somebody who bucks this storyline like we 
we will have a Kevin Durant. And outside of Arian Foster, there's no like truly big names on that list. So that is part of it. I'm not sure James Robinson would qualify as like a huge. Well, even the, even Isaiah Crowell, like before that injury, yeah. it was like, you know, a thousand Decent. yard rusher. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. I do agree with you that even if he is back, it is far from a guarantee that he is any kind of effective. He could be um, very inefficient. He could be Cam Akers like from the playoffs last year, which would not be good for fantasy. I do just think it is at least worth remembering and mentioning what type of season he had last year because it's easy to forget because the Jaguars were very forgettable last year. It was very strange, very up and down. He has multiple games with 18 carries and multiple games with six or fewer carries. That in itself is weird. It's very weird for a guy to have a game with 130 plus rushing yards and then to have another game with six carries for four yards. But that was the Urban Meyer experience for him last year. When he got volume, he pretty much always produced. When he got 15 carries or more, he had 70 yards on all six occasions and he scored one touchdown in five of those six games. Which is I don't, tough to do with the Jags. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I don't think we're getting that that guy under any circumstances this year. But it's like when his draft stock goes up, it's at least important to remember that's the guy. That's that's the guy we're talking about here. This, this is a guy who's produced two years in a row and last year against literally all odds for fantasy. So I understand the inclination to get excited about it. I'd be pretty hesitant, but again, this will be a storyline worth monitoring. Number one, his health and number two, the split in practice once he is fully back with he and ETN. Yeah. Well, and the last important note on the James Robinson storyline to me is if you're just reading the reports, like it seems optimistic. If you watch the video of him doing a walkthrough at practice, it almost looks painful. Yeah. Like how heavily he is, he's on his other leg. And just because a guy doesn't land on the PUP at the start of training camp does not mean they're not injured. It just means that they they can do walkthroughs on the side or that the coaching staff just wants them to be active and do those walkthroughs. So those are two things to remember that just because a player did or didn't land on the PUP or the NFI list doesn't mm-hmm. mean that they're fully healthy. It just means the coaching staff wants to see them move around and get to evaluate it themselves instead of just trusting a team doctor. Speaking of guys who could move around, I think the number one thing I'm interested in outside of J.K. Dobbins, who we talked about last week, is the Broncos wide receivers, specifically the pecking order, if we are able to glean any of that from camp stuff. But I'm really interested in just who lines up where on this team. It does definitely matter a lot who the top dog is. I would imagine it's going to be Cortland Sutton. He is a natural X receiver. He lined up in that spot. It was something like eight in the 80s, 80s percent last year. So that that's going to be his role. I think a lot of us agree that he is a very good complement to Russell Wilson. It's a good deep ball guy. Can go up and snatch contested catches and just not last year, but before the injury has been an awesome player. So with Sutton specifically, you're just really on the lookout for fluff, to be honest with you. There could be some negative. And if there is negative, you always pay attention. But I'd, I'd be happy with just seeing that Sutton looks great in, in camp every day because, as I mentioned earlier, Matt Harmon said in his reception perception, he looked like he was very much hampered by previous injuries as the year went on. But what I'm really paying close attention to is Jerry Judy and Tim Patrick. So 
with Jerry Judy, I am wondering if he's going to lose this slot role to Tim Patrick because that that is something that I know on The Athletic, there was a prediction by, I think, a Broncos beat reporter that, that said Tim Patrick would move inside more. Last year, Tim Patrick lined up on the outside nearly 70% of his snaps. Um, and if we're going to look at the Rams – when we talk about the Vikings, because we have the coach going from one place to another, I think we can at least do that to some extent with the Packers as we talk about the Broncos here. And a lot of folks have noted that the Packers have typically opted for size out of the slot. Yeah, Alan Lazard is the guy that comes to mind as of recently. And Patrick definitely fits that mold more than Jerry Judy does. He's not a good separator per reception perception, but he has a contested catch opportunity of 25% on his targets and caught 83% of those passes. He's a pretty good yards after the catch guy, a little surprisingly so for a guy that just doesn't, he doesn't like jump off the page athletically when, when you watch him. But the old coaching staff had Jerry Judy in the slot for pretty much all, all season last year. He was two thirds of his snaps were there, but Judy's success versus man and press coverage as a rookie actually make it so he could profile pretty decently as an outside receiver. He's not a very good contested catch guy. He has a drop problem as well. So I think it could be a natural fit to put him on the outside and Patrick on the inside. And I think that'd be pretty good for Tim Patrick, quite frankly. Yes. Well, famously, I did plant a flag last week saying mm -hmm. that I wanted Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick and didn't want Jerry Judy. Um, obviously that's a bit of a hot take first, just to defend Judy high ankle sprain week one, last week, last yep. year, very, very hard to come back from that in season. Totally understandable. Uh, second part, this front office, this coaching staff didn't draft Jerry Judy. They did extend Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton. And I, it, I'm not like a big follow the money guy, but when you have a new coaching staff and a new front office coming in, and then the schematic way they play football makes sense because I'm part, I'm, team big slot with you on the Nathaniel Hackett coaching tree. Mm -hmm. It makes a ton of sense for him to put Tim Patrick there. And if Jerry Judy is playing the Y role and he's playing outside, he's playing like a flanker role and he's not in on two wide sets and it's Sutton yep. and Patrick, then his ADP is the most mispriced. Um, yeah. He he's going to have to, I think we need some Jerry Judy confirmation to justify his uh, Russell Wilson Post Russell Wilson ADP hike. I, that, that, yes. That's what I think. I, yeah. And I think that, in my opinion, Sutton does fit the X role. He's the only receiver on this team who can really do it. I would also say that, it, like, Tim Patrick's probably the most do it all of any of these players, though. Probably my favorite <laughs> player on the team. Um, so between the two of them, I do think that they profile. And you can get Tim Patrick at, like, wide receiver, like, 60 right now. Yep. He is so free in drafts. You can take him. It doesn't cost you anything. I highly recommend it. Highly recommend. Okay. Wow. You should come trade for Tim Patrick off of my dynasty team. <laughs> well, I have Cortland Sutton on my dynasty team. Not trying to consult. We can do a one for one if Tim Patrick's your <laughs> favorite player. Oh, well, he's still the two under under Cortland Sutton in points. Interesting. Okay. My third storyline. Well, first, I'd like to just mention two honorable mentions because it was really tough in the AFC to narrow it down to three, quite frankly. The first one is James Cook. Albert Breer is the second person with Stephon Diggs being the first who invoked Dalvin Cook, obviously relation there. Um, so that, that is part of it. But he's at least been impressive, it seems like. And 
and Breer basically point blank said he'll be more than a passing down back. So that bears worth that bears watching in training camp. And then just Tua. I think Tua is one of the biggest training camp storylines. How, how he looks, I'm very susceptible. Excuse me, susceptible to Tua Buzz, good or bad. I I want to hear that he's got a good grasp on the offense. I want to hear that oh there's a they dialed up a play action bomb and he hit Tyreek and Stry. Like I just want to hear those things because I am so incredibly nervous about Tua with two receivers that I do truly love in Jalen Waddle and, and Tyreek Hill. <laughs> yes. Um both good storylines. I think somebody in Miami told the beat reporters to stop tweeting out air yards because I was looking <laughs> for those today over my lunch break. Very unfortunate because they're fun to read. I, I love that you spent your lunch break looking for Tua, for Tua air yards. My third and, and final AFC storyline before we get to your NFC here is just Traylon Burks. Is it news or noise with Traylon Burks? And by it, I mean literally everything surrounding this guy the last couple of last couple of months and also just what does the rest of this receiver room look like around Traylon Burks the vibes have been very poor not immaculate the opposite of immaculate since they drafted Burks basically and they have every every single and what's the word I'm looking for here they really should want to talk this guy up he is the A.J. Brown replacement. They traded A.J. Brown for him. There's no reason why they should be putting out negative stuff. So when you hear the negative stuff, you believe it and you get a little bit concerned. Um, the asthma thing during rookie camp was a problem. He's been out of shape at various points, probably also while he had asthma. Even during some of the NFL draft workout stuff, it was reported that he just wasn't in good shape. And that's just running 40 yard dashes that wasn't doing anything too substantial. So that was concerning. And I know we went through similar, not similar type of buzz, but just similar negativity with Jamar chase last year. But this is different to me because everyone agreed that Jamar chase was a generational guy at receiver. He was a guy who was the best receiver on a team with Justin Jefferson we were pretty positive he was going to be awesome. Did we all get a little too caught up in the the scaries with, with him last year, not with, without the lines on the ball? Yes, I, I think so. But this this is not the case with Burks. He is not that type of prospect. He has his fans, but he also has his skeptics. I think both of us being being skeptics of him as well. And we just don't usually hear this much bad stuff about a, a first-round pick. So... Any more negative stuff would be alarming. I actually had a deep sigh of relief when I saw this tweet today from Cameron Wolf. Titans GM John Robinson said that rookie Traylon Burks was transparent about things he needed to do better with the Titans than he did at Arkansas, referring to conditioning slash asthma issues that caused him to miss some offseason workouts. Robinson said Burks did well with the conditioning test. So like that's an example. Like I'm literally looking for anything positive as it relates to Traylon Burks and the conditioning this, this off season. Could it, could it be fluff? Yeah. Like, but at least that, like if we hear more negative about Burks, he's going to, he's going to be pretty close to do not draft for me. So he he's teetering very much. So right now, and then outside of Burks, Dalton, what, what's the rest of this receiving room look like? We have Robert Woods, I'm keeping an eye on his health. I know that you you said you love Robert Woods. I'm I'm just not quite there, but I think 
if there are major Burks concerns, Woods could end up being a value in in this room for sure. Well, I mean, to start, uh, I'm out on Burks on a talent standpoint, at least his first year. Just such a raw prospect. We talked about it. We have it up on our YouTube channel for everyone to listen to it. Um, he, it's just really tough for Burks to produce at like an elite level his first year because where he did all of his work last year was at the line of scrimmage. I just really don't think he he, he at least is on a team that knows how to to do that, yes. knows how to use a receiver that way. He's not AJ Brown, but AJ Brown does those things among many other things. But I think Burks can at least do some of that stuff that AJ Brown. Yes, I will say anybody who tells you that Burks and AJ Brown are like a one to one is very disingenuous. Yeah. Um, I did listen to Diana Rossini on the Athletic Football Show, and her and Robert Mays specifically talked about her visiting the Titans and that. They they had very good things to say about Traylon Burks, like after That's his. That's great. Send it to me. I need it all. Yeah. I need all of Traylon yeah. Burks' positivity. Um. So that that is very good to hear. I'll also say, just like with a lot of these NFL things, like the what gets amplified on fantasy Twitter is almost always the negative stuff and never mm-hmm. the positive stuff. Um. Just you know, do do your research on it. Um. And again, the rest of the wide receiver room. I mean, it, to me, I think I really want Robert Woods. He's cheaper than Traylon Burks right now. He's a proven talent. I think he has the blocking ability to be on the field. He has not laid it on the PUP yet. Doesn't mean he's going to be ready week one, um, but he got his ACL injured early enough in the season that I can very quickly see him playing. Uh, past that, I mean, it's Traylon Burks, Nick Hyden, Westbrook, really like just a bunch of Jags, I feel like. I don't Kyle, really... Kyle Phillips is like floating around there. Yeah, uh, I mean, Kyle Phillips, yeah, he, he profiles like a slot guy. He doesn't really get me excited. Like, what will be interesting if you are smart is week one. I would look at the usage on all the Titans players, figure out what players are playing in two wide receiver sets and pick them up on waivers because most likely one of them will be available on waivers if it's not Woodsburg's week one. Uh, yeah. That's what I would do with this room is avoid drafting them at cost, either get them at a discount or go to waivers and get whatever guy they seem to be playing because they'll put up like okay fantasy performances. I, I think part of why it's – going to be important to follow the the Woods health and his progression and his meshing with Tannehill and then just everything with Burks is that we've never seen Tannehill have more than one viable fantasy receiver. So not saying that can't happen because there's going to be a step down from the wide receiver one um, from previous years, but I would put the odds at greater it's more likely than not that there's only one of these guys going to be relevant so i think it's important to to feel those vibes out early this season yeah especially considering how run heavy they will be as long as derrick henry is healthy for sure all right dalton hit us with some nfc all right well i uh first i just want to say that i accidentally volunteered myself as tribute for getting the nfc is just (laughs) drastically less interesting this year than the afc um so first and foremost we've talked about him a lot um, but I really think it's an important storyline to monitor because there seems to be a lot of value in the Chicago Bears because they're so cheap that you, you're probably going to find some. Uh, so I'm asking myself, you know, who's going to save Justin Fields at these at these camps? Who am I going to look to to be the guy that helps him? Um, and I started the wide receiver chart, and behind Darnell Mooney, there is nobody. Um, Byron Pringle's probably playing like a big slot role on this team. Uh, Velas Jones is probably playing the other outside role next to Darnell Mooney. So it's not the wide receiver room. I'm not a believer in Cole Komet. I wouldn't look at his yards per target, yards per route run, 
they all rank suboptimally. Like he's worse than TJ Hawkinson at those things. I'm not excited about him. He's really just a volume play. Uh, but I think, I really think this coaching staff and most importantly, Justin Fields are going to save each other. Uh, last season, if you look at Justin Fields, he got better in a fantasy environment as the weeks went on. Weeks three through seven, his best performance was QB 19. Weeks eight through 15, he was QB three, nine, eight, and 10. And that was with Matt Nagy essentially knowing he was going to get fired. And I'm guessing not necessarily putting his best game plan forward. Uh, there were not very many good game plans at any point in the season. For not Matt at Nagy. all. Uh, overall, he only averaged 3.75 rush attempts in his first four games. Uh, in his final five, he had 8.4. And the rushing upside is really what you're looking for. And Fields is going at QB 17. So he's basically free. And with a QB with a good rushing upside, a team that is no doubt going to be playing a lot of garbage time, uh, I think that Justin Fields is going to be like a really good value pickup for a lot of teams. In best ball, I love him as your second quarterback if you go like high-end QB1, a Josh Allen or Mahomes. Um, and I'm really excited because we're excited about the Broncos play calling, but it's Matt Eberflus brought in the OC from Green Bay. It's the it's a one-to-one -one almost. And then the quarterback coaching coming in, I think Justin Fields could make a leap forward even without the weapons around him. And we're really underrating a guy who was, uh, you know, a top five quarterback prospect just two years ago. So with Justin Fields, what are you actually like is the only thing that could make you feel better about Fields just hearing that they're going to run the ball with him more, but like most of his rushes aren't really designed runs or scrambles. So I, I just, I'm not sure like what, what would I be able to learn in training camp? Do you think that would make me feel better about drafting Justin Fields? I want a quick hitting offense. Um, I want mm -hmm. a lot of reports coming out that Justin Fields is getting rid of the ball quickly. That's his biggest problem. I want them to implement a zone rush scheme where Justin Fields has a lot of RPO opportunities. Um, you know, most importantly, I just want to make sure that they're mitigating for a very bad offensive line with good rushing from Khalil Herbert and uh, David Montgomery, and then good quick hitting passes to Darnell Mooney and probably Byron Pringle um, out of the slot. Uh, so those would be the two most important things. If I start seeing camp reports that, you know, Fields is holding the ball too long you know, he's getting tagged up, even though he's wearing the red shirt. Those are things that are going to be very worrisome for me. Uh, especially because those are, have been actual weaknesses for him in, in the past, yes. both in the NFL and even back in college when he had an awesome offensive line blocking for him at, at that point. All right, Dalton, you went from one bad team to another with, with your second storyline here. Well, I got to know, like, is Brian Dabble the real deal? Because, again, the New York Giants are just another team, and I really like like drafting their players. And I really <laughs> don't like saying that. Um, but I – okay, so two seasons ago, Daniel Jones ranked third in the NFL in deep pass accuracy. And that is incredibly hard to do. Last season, was just like having Adam Gase as a head coach, it was a lost season for that entire team. I, I have to interrupt. I think I saw someone make fun of that stat, like – this is literally 18 months ago, so I could be remembering it wrong. But I think I saw someone making fun of that fact with a video attached to it of Daniel Jones overthrowing a guy by like 15 yards who was open against the Cowboys. 
Well, and I mean, he does that. He also you know <laughs> runs for eighty <laughs> yards and fumbles that. it. Um, but I'm not going to do like a Josh Allen esque leap for Daniel Jones. But for him, even being like a an okay quarterback is a, leaves a lot of room for like fantasy success in this offense. Uh, and I think Brian Dabble's the key to unlocking that. In his three years at the Bills, they ranked 24th, 11th, and then third in pass play rate. He changes the game based on his personnel. So what I'm watching in training camp, one, are we getting Kenny Galladay as a sole X receiver? Last year, they were lining him up in the flanker and putting him in motion when that's just not a Kenny Galladay thing to do when he was healthy. Two, who's winning the slot role? Uh, Sterling Shepard, he's on the PUP. He tore his Achilles. I'm not trustworthy in him playing. I think between Rondell and Kadarius Tony, both players could be incredibly successful at that. And then three, uh, is this offensive line going to be good enough to protect Daniel Jones? PFF has him at 18. Uh, if Andrew Thomas can make another leap forward, he could become like a top eight offensive tackle in the NFL after a disastrous rookie season. They've invested in their offensive line. Um, so I just want to know if Brian Dabble is going to adjust and really try to hide Daniel Jones or if he's willing to like lean into Daniel Jones' strengths as like a deep ball passer and then give him some short stuff to open up the deeper passing game. Mm -hmm. I will say, um, I know I mentioned Kenny Galladay a couple of weeks ago. It's just I got like just wondering if he could get back on track this season because he had a couple of good seasons back to back in Detroit. And I thought, he was a, a pretty darn good player. And I'm just going to read this direct word for word from reception perception here from Matt Harmon. It's hard to mince words here. Galladay's 2021 reception perception is one of the worst among the crops sampled from last season. So yes, he, he was not put in good situations by the coaches where he was lined up, how he was lined up, uh, things of that nature. And obviously by his quarterback, but he himself, had a bad season last season. So on top of the coaches coaching him up, coaching the scheme up, coaching Daniel Jones up, I think it's just going to be on Kenny to, to be better this year too. And that that's something I, I'd be interested in. I, I'm curious how Galladay looks. He doesn't have one specific injury, but he's just had enough nagging injuries over the years that I want to see a healthy training camp. I want to see in the preseason, number one, how they're lined up and just how the chemistry looks between he and Daniel Jones. Does he get, if they play three drives, how many targets does he have? That's not very, that's not, a, I wouldn't say that about most situations, but part of the problem last year on top of him not being good was Daniel Jones just not willing to make the throws necessary to, to Kenny Galli that you have to make. And then I've got to say the only guy, like I'm, I don't know what to what to say about Saquon. And actually, the 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 Giants are. I wrote my Cowboys half of the Cowboys and Giants team previews, and I have the Giants coming up. And I was like, okay, Dalton has some has the Giants on on his storylines. I'm going to see if he has anything interesting that that I can think about as I write this. I don't know what the heck to do with Saquon, man. The only guy that I find myself being excited about is Kadarius Tony because he was awesome in that very short stretch when he was healthy and being used all the time last year. And you would think with a creative offensive mind like like Dabble as opposed to uh, Joe Judge and Lord, can't even think of the ex-Cowboys coach, the Clapper. Oh, Jason Garrett. Jason Garrett, the Clapper. 
between those two, it was not exactly a offensive revolution happening in New York last season. So I like Tony late and there's a lot to keep your eye out um, with keep your eye out for with Tony because he is a little bit of a loose cannon, both on and off the field, as we've seen since he's been drafted. So you just kind of want to see Tony stay on the straight and narrow, stay in the coach's good graces between now and the season and just just all, all good stuff, all all hard work stuff with Tony because the, the New York media is not afraid to be negative about guys, and there's been plenty of negative negativity surrounding Tony since he was drafted. Yep, and I mean, like you said, that's a huge camp storyline to watch is Tony reporting. First of all, is Tony <laughs> running routes and is he, you know, adapting yeah. is, to is the... Is Tony in a contract year? No. Yeah. Is Kadarius Tony a start? No. Well, then why isn't he reporting? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, and a lot of analytics, not film guys, think that Wondell could do what Tony did. Um, so that's always another concern when there's a new organization in place. Uh, and then, I mean, it, last season, if anybody remembers, Kenny Galladay was injured for a lot of the preseason training camp. Mm-hmm. Um I am willing to throw out most of what happened to the Giants last year. I mean, Saquon Barkley posted like below average numbers, which it's Saquon. Saquon, Saquon literally twisted his ankle like running back to the huddle last yes. year. If that tells you how their season went. And if you also remember, they got in a brawl in preseason minicamp last year. Like this I thought, I thought was, you were gonna say in a game. I was gonna say, no. yeah, Kadarius Tony got kicked out for throwing a punch. They the did devil. too. The level of dysfunction, like the Jacksonville Jaguars definitely take the cake for last year, but the New York Giants were like right next to them. Yeah. Um, Joe and- Judge was flying a little too close to the sun, but Urban Meyer was just that much higher. So I'm willing to give a lot of like the stats and a lot of the things that, that we learned last year from the Giants team of past just because it was it was bad. I mean, it was Adam Gase in Miami and the Jets bad. Uh, but something that's a little better, I think, is, is we look into New Orleans and I, I'm – I'm looking at this training camp, and I'm asking if we're sure about who the wide receiver one is. Um, <laughs> first, I want to say Michael Thomas is starting on the PUP. Uh, they did I, just say today it won't be long. I understand. Um, we we also heard this last year <laughs> that it wasn't going to be long and Michael Thomas was going to play football, and he didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but my concern, Nick Hunter Underhill, who's like the beat writer for the Saints, want to establish the run. And said that everybody in the Saints front office would be surprised if Michael Thomas didn't play this season. Uh, and then went on to I say bet that everybody was surprised last year when he didn't play. That's too. what he went on to say <laughs> is they were surprised when he didn't play last year. And we're, I mean, we're almost a full two years removed from Michael Thomas playing football. And there were already concerns about him playing last year because it was a new system. It wasn't going to be Drew Brees. Uh, and there's, I just don't think that the volume is there for his play type. And I don't know what he's, he's almost 29, almost 30 years old, I believe. And Jameis Winston, when healthy, averaged 23 attempts a game. Um, this is a Dennis Allen coach team. Historically, Dennis Allen has a below pass rate of expectation. This team on paper is a really good defensive team and offensively has some holes. There, there has been smoke. I think it may have been the Saints beat writer who went on the Establish the Run podcast that may have started the smoke that they actually are going to air it out a little bit more this season. He did. He did talk about that. I don't buy it. Um, but that's, that's not how I would, I would gamble my fantasy. What I think this team needs is they need a playmaker and a guy who makes the game easy for their quarterback. 
I mean, I think it's Chris Olave, and I think he's the wide receiver one. I know wow. everything. Wow. No, I know you just need my whole receiver room. On, I do on my dynasty team, on your dynasty team. I know that, like, this seems like a bad argument, but the Saints spent a lot, and I mean a lot, of draft capital. Like, I think two first round picks and a third to move up in the first round and get Chris Olave. And everything they're saying to the public is that Michael Thomas is our guy. I don't think you do that if Michael Thomas is your guy and then you bring in Jarvis Landry and you spend all this money in free agency to remake your wide receiver room if Michael Thomas really is your guy. Then, I mean, Chris Olave is just like flat out, I, I, the like might be the best wide receiver that was in this draft class. Me and Evans talked about it. He was highly rated by both of us. Mm-hmm. I went on uh, reception perception. He had a higher success rate versus man, or he had the same success rate versus man as Devonta Smith, 78%. He had a higher success rate versus zone coverage than Jalen Waddle, which yep. was 83% in college. And this was him being a number two receiver on double teams, which he got 52% of the time. He had a high success rate. He has all the, the playmaking and separation abilities. The biggest like negativity on him is that he's not a yak guy, but yak I don't think is something you really prescribe that transcends from college to NFL. It's just something al- that happens. I also think part of that is – I mean, he may have some limitations that are keeping that will keep him from being that. But part of that is just what he's good at. Evan Silva's made the point that his skill set is a good fit with Jameis because he's a boundary receiver. Even though he's not big, like if you don't know his game and just know of him, you wouldn't think this, but he's a pure outside receiver. He's best at beating press coverage. That's per reception perception. That that's his best trait. And so he's good at getting downfield. He's, uh, I think, rated as the second best vertical route runner in the class behind Jamison Williams by Matt Harmon. And you need more than speed to, to be a good deep threat. You need the route running, the timing, the ball tracking skills. And obviously, you have to be able to actually catch the ball. And Olave is good and all of that. And you know what? If you actually like torch a guy for a touchdown, then yeah, you've got some yak there. But if you're going up and, and snatching like contested catches and stuff uh, down the field, there's not a lot of yak available there. Exactly. Well, and he was also the second best contested catch receiver behind Drake London. Mm-hmm. I, I think he was 82 and Drake London was 85%. Um, I'm, so I'm going to watch training camp. I'm going to say those plays out. Obviously, rookie minicamp, the story was Chris Olave, and there's probably some incentive for the organization to do that when you spend that heavily yes. on a guy. Uh, but if we come through training camp and Michael Thomas, we're not hearing a lot about him. He's working off to the side. I mean, don't forget, this guy is too – he has not worked with Jameis Winston. There's no rapport there. These guys don't – like, they don't – we don't know if they're going to work well together. And career-wise, Michael Thomas has never been, like, a big separator. Drew Brees was highly accurate, and he hit his passes. Uh, that's just not the same game for Jameis Winston. And last year I was willing to to take the gamble because he was so good. But we're, when we're almost two years removed from football and you have a guy who fits the skill set of your quarterback so well, I'm just – I'm going to put Chris Olave in front of Michael Thomas in my rankings. I'm not going to draft Michael Thomas. I am going to draft Chris Olave, and I'm okay with that at this point. I just, I, I don't know. I think we just got a new wide receiver one, and I think that minicamp's going to prove it. I, I think it's still too early for me to make that proclamation. As much as I love uh, Chris Olave, um, I'm willing to give Thomas a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, but that is assuming he is actually on the field and practicing at some point relatively soon. The longer this storyline goes, 
and he's still not on the field. And even if he is cleared, if he's still not doing team stuff, I'll get more worried and lower him in the ranks. If Thomas does practice and all indications are he looks good, he doesn't need the days off, um, things of that nature, I think I will still have him ranked ahead of Chris Olave, but I would rather draft Olave at cost than Thomas because not, he, he Olave is going to be a decent bit cheaper and it will I, I as crazy as this sounds when you're talking about a rookie versus a guy who set the record for receptions the last full season he played I think there's a lot more risk with Thomas than Olave even if Thomas does play because we just have no idea what he will actually look like after not playing for close to two years like who would have ever thought we'd still be talking about will he won't he play with Michael Thomas after week one 2020 Tom Brady's first game with the Bucks is when he suffered this injury and I will say the other concern I have is with Sean Payton out of the building we know Michael Thomas is a bit of an attitude problem I mean it's pretty well documented like he wasn't showing up to rehabilitation of appointments with the team like is there somebody there to rate him in is this going to be a diva situation i just i feel like even on if he's on the field there's like a whole nother level of risk that he brings to the table that we at least don't know that chris olave has yet not to mention michael thomas and his cryptic tweets i mean <laughs> i just I, I i just don't want anything to do with him as a player at this point in fantasy football well, one thing Olave does is it makes it a lot easier for the Saints to decide they're done with Michael Thomas and and to look elsewhere because they don't have to look elsewhere. They have the guy who is their their next big time receiver in Chris Olave, I think. Me too. And he is the wide receiver one. <laughs> we'll see. It's it's possible. It's possible. Anything else, Dalton, to add on any of these storylines or any honorable mentions in the exciting NFC before we get out of here? Um, I'm going to say with like all the smoke around fat Lenny, uh, we got a Lenny way in today, we 245. Did. We did. And more importantly, I know he's not the head coach, but he's still in the front office and still makes personnel decisions. If Bruce Arians comes out and says anything about the running back room, <laughs> you do not listen to it. He has never been a guy you can trust. Uh, and then I, I, the storyline that didn't make it was I'm watching, the the San Francisco 49ers running back room because it yeah. seems like Jeff in, Wilson in perpetuity we're watching yeah, in perpetuity uh but it does seem like Jeff Wilson might be a little like a little closer to a starting running back job than everybody in the fantasy community was giving him credit for all summer well and we have the the rookie they just drafted Terry Davis Price where uh he, if we're just playing the draft capital game, he's a third round pick compared to a sixth round pick in Elijah Mitchell. I, I, I don't play that game, but I do subscribe to, to the line of thinking that I don't believe it was their intention to have Mitchell be the true workhorse last year. The room just fell around, fell apart around him, and whatever the hell's going on with Trey Sermon since he got there has obviously been a thing. Rest in peace. <laughs> All right, and I think on that incredibly sad note that is going to do it for episode 75 of the half point for podcast give us a follow on twitter instagram and tiktok at half point for pod we will try to keep you guys as up to date with all of the pup and non-pup training camp news as possible um subscribe to the newsletter halfpointforpod.substack.com 
We'll still have team previews coming out a couple times a week on there. It was the Dolphins and Patriots this week. And then I've got probably by the time you hear this or shortly after the Giants and the Cowboys. And again, on the YouTube, Dalton and I will have another video coming out later this week. We will uh, keep you guys waiting on the subject matter. But subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leave us reviews. And thank you again so much for listening. We'll talk to you all again very soon.